Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the number one strategy and tactics games podcast in the universe, uh, as far as we know. Um, I am your host, Rowan Kaiser. Today, I am joined by our friend, the Hellion, Leanna Hafer. Hello, hello. And the Vestal? I I didn't think who you should be, Miriam, so you could pick yourself. Oh, can I be the Jester? All right, our jester friend, Miriam Strom. Hello. Soon to be of Digital Foundry, right? <laughs> what? We've developed the, it just took me so long to say hello, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to or not. Uh, but oh, okay. yes, soon to be of Digital Extremes. I have uh, Digital I Extremes. Be, yes, not Digital Eclipse. Um, <laughs> mistake that lots and lots of people make. Diff- very different uh, studios, uh, places to work. But yeah, Digital Extremes. As I think I said on the previous episode, makers of uh, the long-running Warframe, the upcoming Soulframe, and publishers of the upcoming uh, Wayfinder. Okay, we'll All be right, expecting right. a check for that uh, promotion, but um, <laughs> listen, I don't work there yet. I'm not. Get, I, have, I have not received a paycheck, so you can't call me a shill. Not yet. Okay. All right. That's We're, fine. Yeah. We're waiting for our, we're, we're helping our friends promote themselves. It's fine. We, you and I don't necessarily have anything to promote. I'm the host of Total Massacre, a, a podcast about action movies. Oh. And, uh, Lynn, Lynn, what are you doing lately? The only thing I have to promote is the show you're listening to right now. So it's kind yeah. of pointless for me to promote it. Well, no. you're already listening to maybe, maybe somebody's hearing this in a car. They're like driving to Minneapolis with their friend on a road trip for four hours. Their friend is like, hey, I've got this great show for you to listen to. And then they put us on over the FM well, transmitter. Three moves ahead, as Rowan already said, is the number one strategy and tactics game uh, podcast in the universe. Uh, in the universe. So if you like, yeah. If anybody else wants to stake a claim to that title, I say fight me in real life. If there's an yeah. alien out there somewhere that thinks that they have a better strategy or you, tactics game you podcast. You did try to do that, though. Like, you started your own. That was not meant to be a generalist show, though. <laughs> that was just me talking about Paradox Dev Diaries with three of the only people I could find who are willing to do that every week. <laughs> so Okay. <laughs> Um, we should probably get yeah. to our actual actual topic of discussion, which people who have read the description of the show or listened, paid close attention to the way I did the introductions might notice is Darkest Dungeon 2, mm. uh, just out of early access from our good friends at Red Hook. Well, maybe not our good friends, but uh, I've gotten along with them. Um, I was going to say, wait, what, what did Red Hook do? Why are we not friends with them now? They're cool people. Uh, we just don't want the corruption allegations. Oh. Yeah. I actually would like to invite at least one of them on to Three Moves Ahead at some point and had plans for that, uh, but it never actually happened. So I'm sort of reporting for the alternate universe where uh, we did that Warlords show with Tyler Sigmund, but that has not actually happened yet. So... Um, but they're also our friends because Darkest Dungeon 1 was, I think, most of our a favorite of most of us and one of our favorite games of the decade last, last time around. Darkest Dungeon 2 makes some pretty big changes to that formula. Uh, Liana, would you like to talk us through uh, kind of what that was and what it is now? Yeah. So, I mean, in the original, you had kind of... Um 
this the central base where you are sending out these adventurer parties uh, to tackle these various uh, challenges leading up to the big challenge, which was the darkest dungeon. And then you'd come back and, and you know, upgrade your base and hire new adventurers and stuff like that. Um, Darkest Dungeon 2 is it's it's more of a rogue light than a rogue like where um, it's based around a carriage that is sort of careening through this new Lovecraftian nightmare world. And every run um, is made up of multiple regions with a big boss at the end. So there's it's not as, um, I guess, open ended. Um, Instead of, you know, kidding out an adventuring party to go uh, tackle, you know, a specific area, you're you're starting a new journey every time through these regions where you're going to be navigating your way through a city or a spooky forest in in real time and actually like steering the carriage and uh, making decisions about where to go at different forks in the road um there's not so much a dungeon crawling aspect to it you're not going to be like going from tile to tile uh finding loot and uh finding encounters that way they're just kind of waiting for you on the road um so it's a lot more fast paced it's a lot more i think streamlined would be the keyword sometimes in good ways and sometimes in not so good ways but i'm sure we'll get to all of that yeah um it's also just smaller a number of characters where uh in darkest dungeon one you would have like a group of i think it was up to something like 20 maybe even 24 characters in your in your village that served as a base whereas in this you pick four and you might get others later along the way if one dies but they're your four characters for this run so like sort of the, the the core structure of what what you're mentally trying to accomplish in any place is a lot bigger in Darkest Dungeon 1. In Darkest Dungeon 2, it's a lot more focused. Yeah. Focused. <laughs> I, I'm sure we, have, we all have a lot to say about this, but it's just like, yeah, yes. I mean, the way that I kind of phrased it in a lot of my... Uh, I did a couple of write-ups when I was still working at Fanbyte, and... um the way I kind of pointed it out was that like the map that you move through is just slay the spire style, very Hades like where it's like, yes, you're moving through individual regions and there's there's like a there's a fire area. There's a fish man area. There's a forest. So on. There's I don't think there's like four or five. And then there's like a, one of them is like kind of a bonus zone. Um, and you kind of repeat them over and over again as the runs get longer because um, there aren't enough to take up the entire run but i think that's kind of the area where the focus i think it's a little bit lost to a certain degree which is just that in darkest dungeon because you were doing the dungeon crawling stuff it was like very much you could have these not bite-sized but condensed or or very specific runs where it's just like i'm just going in here to get some loot i'm just going in here to get some trinkets i'm just going in here to level up some guys to take them into the darkest dungeon later whereas in here it's just like it can be a real slog getting through some of the later levels especially um and the process of doing that looks very much the same over and over and over again but it is just sort of um randomized according to 
um, a branching path where there's only ever three uh, the, uh, at most three options of where you can go. There is um, you can go left, right or middle. Most of the time it's just left or right. Oftentimes you can't even choose. It's just you you have locked yourself onto a path early on and that and you're stuck there and there's ways to scout for that stuff but it, it tends to be very randomized and i think that's maybe going to be one of the more contentious things that we talk about or at least the, one of the yeah. things that is most contentious for me is just like the the one of the biggest changes here is that a lot of the randomization has been moved away from do you hit an enemy or not and it is now moved into what items you get and what are what is available to you and when and because the levels are so long and so much of the progression is so dependent on that randomization, you can just really get into like a, a death slog, just like a, a complete death march to the end of uh, a three, four hour sometimes run. Yeah, so so the run, I think, is kind of a, a good lens to view this through. Um one of the things that I like to talk about, especially with like tactics games, is what is the the sort of core unit of difficulty? What is the thing that you are attempting to accomplish that the game is trying to stop you from accomplishing? Um, in like a traditional role playing game, it's usually getting through a dungeon. Uh, you you know you go to town you stock up on stuff you rest and you heal then you go into a dungeon get as far as you can hopefully get through the dungeon but then go back to town stock up and heal and so on so that's kind of the core unit of difficulty a lot of role play games these days have moved on to like the individual battle is the core unit of difficulty you're not trying to like slog through 20 different random battles you're doing three very specific battles that are all significantly harder than any given random battle with darkest dungeon 1 it was kind of a traditional role-playing game in that the the core unit of difficulty was doing a single dungeon crawl, which was a process that would take like 15 to 45 minutes. It could sometimes go longer if you were doing trying to do an especially long dungeon with an especially hard boss at the end. But these were individual little one sitting bites that you could do in a game that was way longer. Mm -hmm. Like you, in order to actually finish the full darkest dungeon game, you probably had to do at least a hundred of these things. Um, in like the radiant version, which was the, the faster leveling one, maybe it was closer to like 50 or 60, but you're still doing a lot of these individual runs. In Darkest Dungeon 2, the core the core unit of difficulty is a much longer run. You are doing like three or, you know, two to four hours of progressing with your little carriage across this map. Um, each little zone that uh, Niriam was talking about, the, the sprawl or the, um, the, the valley the tangle these things these things are probably the rough equivalent of the dungeon runs in the the first darkest dungeon there's just three or four of them strung together that you're doing the exact same characters and making progress overall through so darkest dungeon 2 is in many ways a smaller game uh and not in a way that I think is inherently bad that like a lot of strategy game people might think, oh no, I don't want smaller. Uh, Darkest Dungeon 1, what, there was way too much Darkest Dungeon 1. I have never finished mm -hmm. it. It's still one of my all-time favorite games. Yeah. 
Um, I bought it twice. I bought it on PC and Switch, and I've played it between the two of them, like at least 120 hours, never come anywhere close to finishing it. Oh, really? Yeah. Am I the only one who's beaten on the show who's beaten the game? Yeah. That's so. Yeah. I got to the actual darkest dungeon and hated it, which is a thing that I think is relevant (laughs) for discussing later aspects of uh, of this particular game. Right. I think there's some parallels to how this game works. But uh, anyway, the point that I'm getting at is that darkest dungeon one was structured as this massive game with nice little fun bites. Darkest dungeon two is a relatively small game with much, much larger bites. And that makes it, feel very different even it like it feels both smaller and bigger in i think in ways that i i don't especially like either of them uh i don't like the way it feels bigger or the way it feels smaller in those specific ways but this is a thing that we could talk about this is this is a very complicated game um all the pieces of it kind of fit together plus we're connecting it to darkest dungeon one a game that we really love so i expect this show to be a little all over the place both like emotionally (laughs) and in terms of what we're talking about um just as as a fair warning like we're pulling at like 16 different threads at once so if if you're gonna go for it just go for it uh so uh what did you want to say near no i think i mean yeah (sighs) I, th- I think you really nailed it talking about just how there, there are like so many things to to talk about all at once here. I mean, I, I guess the the one thing I will say right off the off the rip here as I'm looking at the Steam page and kind of just I was glancing at balanced patches since last time I played. Um, the game looks and is presented probably better than ever. The the art oh, style yes. and this the is- sound design so good. This is definitely a thing that is like the first thing I notice is that Darkest Dungeon One does a lot of magic with like camera zooms. Those characters barely move; like they uh-huh. are yeah. they are barely animated, but the camera makes it look like they're doing the coolest shit ever. Uh, that camera is <laughs> still going in Darkest Dungeon Two, but they're also animated. The animation is smooth; it's beautiful; it's fun to just take the Hellion and switch between Iron Swan and whatever her basic attack is. She uh-huh. raises her axe above her head, or she drags it behind her to sweep up with, and you she'll just like animatedly do that as you're preparing each move, and it looks so good. And like, as someone who loved Darkest Dungeon One, seeing these these classes come back in ways that like they've gotten um they've got kind of three-dimensional uh yeah yeah they yeah. are three dimensional. Really great yeah and like every time an attack lands it's like this comic book panel snapshot of just like doing something awesome like it like yeah i i love the way this game looks generally i now the one thing i will say that doesn't look good is the UI and the UX, which I mean, it's very pretty. It's very pretty UI in a lot of places and stuff like that. But I think like uh, one of the conversations that we had in the three moves ahead discord was just like about how. I mean, this is my personal feeling. I don't know if you all share it or if this is exactly what happened, but this is my guess is this is what happens when you put a very large game or a very complex game into early access on Epic Game Store, which has a much smaller 
breadth of people to pull from than, than a Steam release or whatever. So there's a bunch and, of stuff that feels like it fell through the cracks. And it also doesn't have Steam forums or anything mm-hmm. like that, which is a, huge issue with a very good yeah. thing in a lot of ways. The Steam right. forums and Steam reviews are some of the primary vectors for like harassment and shitty gamer culture. Totally. Um, but also, if you're doing early access, that can make mm-hmm. it good to get all kinds of feedback. There's there's yeah. no community tools on the Epic Game Store whatsoever for that sort of thing. You know, for as bad mm-hmm. as as people and abuse them, and as badly as they're moderated or the lack of moderation on Valve's part is and stuff like that. There's just nothing on the Epic Game Store. It's still so even all these years, like five years after the release of the Epic Game Store, it's so barren there and and feature dry. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's I it's like I want to be, put like a big theme on the table because it's very relevant to the UX, which I'm sure uh, you're you're about to get into. Uh, I think Rowan actually encapsulated perfectly most of my criticisms <laughs> of this game during that. Discussion, I got it again, which is I think I don't know if it's a, the exact words you said, but it was something along the lines of for every bad decision in darkest dungeon two, I can understand exactly why you did this, but I wish you had it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that, and I think well, that's going to be kind of a running theme. throughout uh-huh. the show. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, we could, yeah. we could use that as a frame to discuss, like, why is this game? Uh, Oregon trail is the way that it's, it's sort of got derogatorily, but also kind of cutely described as is because you're just in a wagon going on a road trip and you're trying to survive uh this you know horrible path with bears and uh i think bears are probably the only overlapping enemy (laughs) dysentery (laughs) is probably in both actually dysentery Um, is in both actually and i I have had a uh and like yeah, how many people are like me who adore Darkest Dungeon 1 and never finished it? All right, let's make a version of that that feels like something you can complete better. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is absolutely a game that I feel like, yeah, if I put my head down, I can make a lot more specific progress than the sort of meandering, slowly getting all your guys up to level 6 progress that Darkest right. Dungeon 1 had. Um this makes sense. It's a decision I understand. I'm not sure it's one that actually helps the game. Um, and this is another lens to to look at Darkest Dungeon 2 through. The one that I, I keep coming back to is that I really like all the things that I really like about Darkest Dungeon 2 are like things that I'm only into because I played Darkest Dungeon 1, like the animation right. that we discussed. Uh, but it always feels like it's a little bit lesser than Darkest Dungeon 1, except for like some very technical aspects. So you've got this, this thing where it's like this game is in conversation with a better game, and the conversation is a pretty good one, but the other game is better. Um, and, and it's in that conversation with multiple games, because it's also in that conversation with Hades, which is the uh, like the same... Problem that roguelikes since Hades have been, I think, bashing their heads against recently, which is that everybody's trying to be like Hades, but nobody is as good as doing the Hades thing as Hades. And so they right. Darkest Dungeon 
like got away from the darkest dungeon-ness of it all and didn't really like build on much on the existing stuff from the f- first game, threw a lot of that stuff out, replaced it with more traditional uh even you could also make the same comparison for like i said slay the spire or dead cells like uh, the the same kinds of roguelikes that you've been playing here since like 2015 at this point um they kind of moved in that more mainstream like popular direction um that, but they're not as good as the themselves. one that i feel it's it's got the progression system closest to um that makes this, sense it, this is a good this is a good segue into the other intro thing that i wanted to talk about which is the changes that Darkest Dungeon 2 has made from itself in early access, which we also did a show on. I reviewed mm. that version. I'm not do- redoing a full review of Darkest Dungeon 2. Um, <laughs> I did, were either of you on that show? I know Jason Wilson was. I was, I, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I edited it, but I don't think I was on it now. So yeah. I remember you, it. You have the problem of not necessarily... You're, you're part of it, but not necessarily on it. Yeah, it's like I remember that conversation very clearly, but it's is it because I participated in it or because I listened yes. to it two times while I was editing it? So, yeah. So there are, I think, two key differences between the original. Ver- well, three. One of them is that it's a much bigger game now. Mm-hmm. Um, three, three key differences between Darkest Dungeon 2 in early access and Darkest Dungeon 1. The first one and relevant, the seg, the relevant segue here that I wanted to get to is that the progression system has totally changed. In the original version of the Darkest Dungeon Two progression, is just you got like certain amount of XP for going through, um, going through a run. That XP was it goes up in a line, and when that line gets to another level, you might get some new items. You might get a new a new character class, uh, or you might just have to do the next run and hope for something, hope for it to to go up high enough in the next way. That was a little frustrating compared to Darkest Dungeon One, and just frustrating overall because like. Yeah, it just sort of says, here's this arbitrary bar. Sometimes it's going to give you something. Sometimes it's not. And that it didn't seem like super kind of emotionally tied to the actions that you did. So you could have your best run, but if you did it at the start of a level, you wouldn't really get a reward after it because you would need to do another run after that in order to get the XP to get there. Um, In Darkest Dungeon 1, there was... There was sort of a meta progression, but that was just like you get items and gold from doing runs. Those items and gold can be spent to upgrade your character's weapons in the town. Uh, That was not the world's greatest progression system, but it was like just enough to not make you think I'm doing this like very specific progressions. I'm, I'm not playing the progression system in Darkest Dungeon 2. I am progressing because I'm enjoying playing Dark or Dark sorry, Darkest Dungeon One. The psychology of that was I'm not playing the progression system. It was I am playing this game because I'm enjoying it and I'm also getting a little bit of progress when I do it. In Darkest Dungeon 2, uh, they switched from this like overall experience bar to giving you candles. So as as Drill would always have hoped, we now have an economy <laughs> entirely based around the number of candles that you get. Uh, the candles are 
like you do you do various little quests that can give you more or less candles on a run. You have little items that can give you more candles or less candles and also buff or debuff you. Uh, so you could like make your progress go faster by making the game a little harder, make your progress go slower by making the game a little easier. You can try to aim for getting these quests done. Like, uh, the, you know, you might have a character says, I want to visit the hoarder twice. If you manage to visit the hoarder twice on your little pro- progress through with your wagon, you get a couple more candles, but maybe you have a, a weaker run because of that. Who, who knows exactly? Um, but there are all kinds of little things that you can do to get more candles. When you get the candles, you can go to essentially a, a sort of ruined town that you're slowly rebuilding. Uh, and like, if you want to have a new trinket available, you spend one candle. There's it. There's a little thing that says zero of 75 trinkets. You spend a candle. Now it's one of 75 trinkets. And you just keep going through these trinkets that you're unlocking. Spend eight candles and you can unlock a new class. So, you know, I, I just unlocked the plague doctor, uh, or not the plague doctor, the occultist. So now I have another, another mage for my back line and now I can, you know, use him, learn his story, whatever. And you then each of those classes, you can also unlock various things, but sort of the key is you are deciding on every, every form of unlocking things via these candles and you are like deciding on how many candles you want to get on the run uh do you want to like try to make your run better or try to maximize your candles to unlock things uh this is as i mentioned like uh it's a lot like dead cells as near mentioned i think it's a general like kind of roguelike thing where you you do the run you get the uh you get the currency you unlock things with that currency it uh in a derogatory way it feels like a free-to-play game where you're getting specific currency in order to get another thing and maybe if you spent darkest dungeon 2 doesn't have this but there's a part of me that's like yeah if i spent 20 dollars i could get all this at once but uh, it's very brain tickly there is like there is an element of it that is just like oh yeah just one more run i should do one more run i can get more candles and then i can unlock the next hero path for the man at arms yes and this is it's a thing that feels arbitrary. It's a thing that works. But the combination of it feels that the arbitrariness and the working of it and like just how kind of the whole game feels to me, it it feels kind of just overthought, overdesigned, over formalized. It's hard to, to, to place the word exactly, but that's kind of. That's kind of the discussion that I wanted to have. The other major thing that changed from the early access that we should, we should talk about later, perhaps, is the way they cha- completely changed the way relationships worked. Right. Um, but yeah, the the meta progression, I think, is what I would like to talk about. I, it's fine. I don't feel connected to it. I don't. It's yeah. like. like like i was getting at before it's brain tickly it's candy it's like it's like oh yeah i feel good when i unlock a new thing on here uh and the the presentation of it feels good when i hold down like left click on a thing and then it goes like and like unlocks the thing on it like vampire it tickles my brain the same way that vampire survivors opening a chest does but it's not like i don't feel like i'm overcoming 
a great challenge. And that is kind of maybe one of my biggest problems with Darkest Dungeon 2 overall. I don't feel like um, I'm experiencing the sort of like sensation that I am learning the systems, getting better at them, making small incremental changes to reduce risk over time. I feel like I am filling up meters and filling up the meters feels good, but I feel that in a million games already. And it's not capturing that same spark that came some kind of essence, especially since so many of the, um, so much of the game is still random uh to to a huge degree where it's like you you can spend the candles to get a trinket and you'll have that trinket unlocked for that that it seems to be random i'm not sure maybe it's maybe there's a set order that you unlock them within the 75 trinkets and yeah. there's other I things too in items yeah. okay and you'll get them for that run but if you die on that run you just lose it and then it's just a matter of well hope that you get it on the next run hope that you find a hoarder and you happen to have and this is the thing i keep running into with the game is just like i will i will see these trinkets and things that i've unlocked and it's always 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 i'm you know five relics away from being able to purchase it and it's like well i hit the hoarder and everything is too expensive for for me to buy a single thing here so i guess i just leave and i'm not going to do anything with that anymore and also spending money at the hospital feels just so much infinitely more more useful more more valuable Because the quirks that you can get, the negative and positive quirks are so the the negative ones, especially some of the diseases are just like backbreaking. There there are some negative quirks where it's like, if you don't clear this, you're not going to make it to the end of the run. Yeah, (laughs) like I I just won't take those characters. So so there's there's another thing where uh, I feel like. there's just too many things also like i don't i don't give a crap about these 75 different trinkets i or herbs like, or well, here's, here's the thing you I go will... to you go to the item store i i'll give me a sec you go to the item sure. store and it says you're at like seven of 75 trinkets you're at three of 30 in items you're at five of 30 combat items. And then there's another one. I think the wagon items, there's like 25 of, and it's like, I don't, I don't really feel that good about pressing this button so many times for one or two candles each, Um, like unlocking a character. Yeah, I get this, but these are, these are not as Sid Meier would say, interesting choices. It's just, (laughs) I have five candles left. Let's just blow them on getting a few more items available. Um, what were you going to say, Len? Well, here's the thing. I do want to disagree a little bit because I I personally don't have much of an issue with the candle system, but it's largely because if you pump enough into those um, categories to the point that you're spending, you know, three, four five, I think eventually it might even get up to like six or seven candles per trinket. It is a linear progression. You unlock them in a set order and the later ones are just better. So it mm. does, there is some randomization, but it does end up being kind of a linear power increase because the the later trinkets that get added into the pool are are just simply better. Like some of them can make your entire run go from a disaster to, okay, you know, my, my Vestal is so good now that I don't even really have to worry about HP anymore. Um, kind of stuff and that takes a while to get there and you might not necessarily think to the point that they had to point it out in the review guide 
they might not necessarily think to spend candles on unlocking more combat items and more trinkets, but it like it does make such a huge difference, especially like some of the later foods you can get, which is like everybody can eat a food every time you go to an inn. Like it can just make the whole next leg of the journey trivial um, if you get the right, you know, the right pastries um there even in the game there's it's like the one thing that gets a pop-up wind its own pop-up window where it's like yeah clearly somewhere along the line one of some of the feedback they got was like what rowan said which is it doesn't feel like these are yeah. meaningful because the first like 20 you get aren't particularly don't feel particularly meaningful most of them most of the early ones come with trade-offs it'll be like oh you take 20 percent less you have 20 percent more burn resistance but 20 percent less bleed resistance and it's like well okay i guess sure uh i don't but i have no idea if i'm going to want to go to the the fireplace or the bleed place so i don't know if this is worth it or not but then there's a pop-up window in the game that's like listen (laughs) consumable items are key to beating darkest dungeon 2 you need to unlock these okay and then I immediately just like, okay, whatever. And then I just proceeded to unlock all the character classes and all of their different well, uh, paths. My strategy has been to like unlock at least one new trinket, one new uh, combat item, one new in item and one new caravan item every time I come back from a run. Oh. And then I spend it on the stuff that actually sounds interesting, like upgrading the carriage or whatever. But yeah. So, so Lynn... I and near both of you have mentioned Hades specifically, and I have also yeah. been thinking about Hades in context of this game. Lynn, you were talking about you were doing some little subtweets that were like, I don't know yes. why these roguelites aren't like Hades, but then Hades I mean, was just embargo good, breaking subtweets. Yes, yeah. are the, the best subtweets. Uh, um, yeah. I have. I have several ways that I was thinking about Hades, but I was wondering specifically what what. What was triggering that part of your brain? Yeah. So if I go into a run in Hades, I can pick any weapon, even the ones I hate, like the gun or whatever. And I can get like any combination of blessings on like the first floor or whatever. And I could make that work. Like some of them are obviously better than others. If I get my super dashy shield build, I'm just going to like face roll my way to the end with no difficulty versus maybe having to be a little bit more tactical. But it feels like everything you can get your hands on in Hades is balanced to be viable. And that's why I think it's one of my favorite roguelikes. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas so- in Darkest Dungeon 2, that's very much not the case. There is very much... I got this combination of trinkets and they suck. And so this is not going to be a good run. (laughs) Yeah. So just to, this is, there's a a whole lot to talk about with randomness, but this is sort of like the way that I feel like I have finished Hades is when I have done like every weapon form and finished Mm -hmm. a run with each of those. Uh, The game doesn't even like give you its equivalent of an achievement for that. But that's the thing that I'm like, yeah, all right, I've done it. Um, You know, and rolling the credits, getting the party at the end, those things, those things probably will happen along that path. But my motivation says this is the end point of that game. Um, So, yeah, I agree. I agree pretty firmly with you that everything is viable and interesting there. I don't feel that way about darkest dungeon 2 i 
and, and it's not even just the trinkets. It's like I have un- at this point unlocked every single character class. I've got 53 hours in the game. Um, I've, I've done m- multiple runs with every single character and multiple different. I, I don't know that I've done every single combination of hero paths, which are like basically loadouts. Uh, they're like variants of the existing yeah, classes. Subclasses. Yeah, subclasses. Um, mm-hmm. So it'll be like, oh, here's a version of the Plague Doctor that um, she doesn't do blight damage like at all. Like she loses 20% of her ability to deal blight, uh, which is like poison in Darkest Dungeon terms. But her knife attack is a lot stronger and she's a bit tankier. So she can be kind of more of a mid-roll, mid-position character and um, heal more more often um and that one's pretty good but like that's the thing is like the plague doctor is one of the opening four characters that you get in the the, in this one as opposed to the first game which was like the crusader the vestal the highwayman and some uh something else um plague doctor also actually um it's plague doctor grave robber uh highwayman and man man at arms I don't I have done many runs of this game now at this point. And I don't think there is a more effective lineup than those four. Every other lineup feels like I am fighting to make them good. Like I'm trying to find the thing that like makes this more effective than just running with the original four crew. Like the man at arms especially is just so strong with like all the defensive abilities because these runs are so long and so arduous it's not the situation where it's just like i'm going to get in kill everything really quickly and get out the way that you could in darkest dungeon one it's like i'm going to build a real glass cannon squad that because we're just going in to get uh but we're, we're taking the antiquarian and we just don't have time to take all this stress whereas like the man at arms he re- he's the best stress reducer in the game like mathematically mm-hmm. uh he's the best defender and he self heals and he does decent damage <laughs> The only other the only build I've found that works pretty well that doesn't use a man at arms is um, if you run a leper with uh, a bunch of stealth characters. Mm. So he's the only one that really takes stress damage because he can he can clear his own stress. Yeah. Faster than the man at arms can clear other people's stress. Yeah. yeah, other than that, I always have a man at arms in my lineup just for the stress reduction. And yeah. Rowan, do you feel the same way about that? Like, have you felt like the other character classes are viable? So I have not played as much as you all. I'm I'm just like doing part of a run every day, pretty much since it it got the full release. And I I haven't even gotten through denial again, although I did back in the original original one. Um. Yeah, I'm. I still might even have one or two classes to unlock, but mm. I did really like the leper, uh, the man at arms. His his animations and stuff feel more boring to me, but I can understand why he would feel like the stronger one. He's also the first one that I just randomly decided. Okay, sure, I'll look at his story first. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. so I started getting more of his unlocks than uh, some of the other characters. So I, I've spent. I've spent some time with him, but it, it, I still haven't gotten to the point where I feel like I need to be optimizing these characters for this run. Right, um, which you do eventually, really. Yes, which, yeah. which like, yeah. I, I've finally started making it to the boss regularly and need to, like, figure out, okay, what's going on here? Um, that I've lo- died, like, two or three times to the fucking fire boss in the library. Yeah. And, oh, man. Uh, that one's a 
bastard. If you don't have a ranged damage party, I just don't even bother fighting him. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, if you're, but, if you're you running know, all melee, yeah. So this is an aspect of the game that I think is also, it's very worth talking about. It's that there's a lot of sort of optional things uh, to do and challenges to overcome and you're constantly balancing like what you want out of this run. And it's not always choices that feel like they're fun to make. Sometimes it is. Um, And sometimes it's not a choice and it's a negative thing. So here are a couple examples. Um, This fire boss uh, in each, in each zone, there's a layer, which is where like an optional boss, who's kind of like the guy for this area uh, will semi-optional, will yeah, yeah, semi-optional. You go to the, you go to these, or you go to most of the little, um, God, the locations in the game, and your characters will say like, "I want to go in." I don't want to go in, and you you click on the character in order to choose whether you are going in or not. You could run away, uh, and some of the times, like you need to go and do these fights, not necessarily the boss fights, but some of the fights, because otherwise the loathing will increase, or the, the despair? The loathing, yeah. Loathing. The loathing. Yeah, the loathing will increase, and if you're not doing some fights to keep the loathing down, then the end boss gets a lot tougher. These yeah. optional bosses are going to give you like really, really great items and a whole lot of gold and stuff, but they're significantly harder than just getting to the end of the thing and uh, going to the end. Uh, there's sort of a there's sort of a regular boss which is fighting the cultists who happen to be at the end of everything and they they can be tough sometimes but they're definitely not as tough as the lair bosses no so you're making these choices about whether you want to fight these guys or not Uh, but if you haven't gone and fought them before you don't necessarily know what you need against the library boss who's starts uh-huh. behind a stack of books that he slowly burns and once he burns them all he just burns the crap out of your party uh against him you need range damage but if you go and fight him once or twice without having range damage you are just going to be wrecked maybe that's the end of the second zone you've traveled through you're about to make it to the the final boss area and you just happen to be like oh what's this guy like oh i guess this run is got gone and dead forever because I didn't have that particular random combination of things there that made it viable for me to fight him. But that's, and- that's kind of a live and learn thing, right? Uh, I also just had a time where I was doing pretty well in a run and all of a sudden death shows up. Death uh-huh. is, you know, an equivalently difficult boss. I went into the Discord and asked you all, and you said, oh yeah, that's just a thing that happens when you have the flagellant in your party. And I was like, oh, okay, well... I was enjoying this run and then got utterly destroyed by something completely random that I had no ability to run away from. So cool. I guess I'm not playing this game anymore for the rest of the day. And I I can imagine like people listening to this who have played the first game being like, well, isn't that just exactly like Darkest Dungeon? And it's like it comes back to the thing that we talked about at the beginning, which is. In Darkest Dungeon, if you lose a party of characters, well, A, and Rowan, you talked about this. I don't think we've really even discussed it. There's no retreat function in this game. There's no, yes. you. the closest thing that you can do is you can sit, like, close the game and just say, hey, abandon the run, and it'll warn you, hey, you're not going to get most of your stuff. And it's like, that's fine. Uh, all you keep forward is candles that no matter win or lose. Well, no, if you if you complete a run, you do get some 
sort of small semi-permanent progression type stuff where you can spend currency to temporarily buff a, uh, a character on the next run. So there is a way to kind of like, if you were to just unlock absolutely everything in the game, there is a use for the candles later that can just like completely juice your your squad uh, before you go on to the final, final boss. But beyond that, it's mostly just you keep candles. Uh, other than that, it's like you have to reach the inn. And a lot of these runs between inns are like equivalent to doing the entire darkest dungeon in darkest dungeon like a really really long run and there's not really like and this is i think one of the biggest issues that i i kind of as i played more of the game ran into there's not a lot of like downtime or deviation between those things so it's not even just that the the runs like an entire run of multiple inns and multiple regions is super long it's that the individual regions are super long they can be like upwards of an hour depending on how many types of fights you go through, if you do a layer, if you don't, whatever. Um, and in between that, there's none of the stuff where you're from Darkest Dungeon 1 where you're like camping. All of that stuff is at the inn now. Uh, or And even that is kind of gone for the most part. The, nobody has camping abilities. So all of the personality stuff has been kind of like changed over to the relationship system, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But if there's just a, a quality of sameness to the game eventually as you play more and more and more of it that sets in a lot sooner and you you would run into this in darkest dungeon one towards the end where it was just a game of just i'm going to take the antiquarian grab a bunch of gold level up a squad get ready to go into the darkest dungeon again try to beat it but that sets in mid run on a normal playthrough of the game now yeah um I think another aspect of it is that it feels like it could use another zone. I've talked about this with Darkest Dungeon 1 a fair amount is that like I was playing the playing it from the very initial early access release and it had three zones. It had the Warrens, it had uh the ruins and it had the uh the caves or no the caves were the warrens it had the like the the bramble or whatever it was mm -hmm. the, the kind of wandering through the dense forest um and it felt like oh man this game needs a little a little extra juice and then the cove came in where it had the like water zone with the fish monsters and it was like this is exactly the balance that i needed it needed that one extra thing that i feel like now there are four different options they all feel pretty distinct from one another the music is different in each of them like three just wasn't quite enough four was definitely good enough uh and yeah, so this one feels like it it could use another one. It could use its equivalent it really of Because um, right now I'm I'm struggling to think here if I'm I'm just forgetting one because there's the there's the fishman area which is the no the sprawl is the is the fire area with the fanatics. There's the tangle which is the forest with like undead monsters. There's the uh the there is the fishman area and then there's the sluice and the sluice is like a bonus area that only appears sometimes, um, which is like this underground level full of pigmen. Am I missing one? There's uh, the the feature, I think it's pronounced the the foeter. <laughs> oh, the fetter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, That's the one I which, always forget. Yes. 
It's very it's the most forgettable area. It doesn't really have a strong theme to it. I didn't it felt like another forest kind of maybe. Totally. It's too similar to the tangle. <laughs> yeah. Um so I think that the lore is that it's it's the front lines of a battlefield for a war that never happened or something like right. that. Like that's the um, meat area full of meat people. Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and also I, like, I, yeah. Just as someone who's kind of just started and still in mostly the starting zone, uh it's only ever sprawl and tangle. I Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's it's it's you know, it's a difficult game to make progress in. And so I know that these other things exist. I'm excited to see the fish people because I don't think those were in the early access or the initial early access one at all. And as mentioned, they were my favorite zone in Darkest Dungeon 1. They but, look amazing uh, in Darkest Dungeon 2. I will say that the character design of the, the fish people is so and that, good. That lair boss is usually the one I try to fight if I have to fight one. I mean, Interesting. It's, it's brutal, but I... Like, I just have that fight down like I, I've got it down because the other thing you might not know, Rowan, is that the the later confessions, um, the ones after uh, after uh, um, denial, you actually have to fight at least one lair boss to unlock Whoa. the final boss. So that becomes like an extra thing to think about is like, OK, this first area I'm going into, I know this lair boss is not one of the harder ones, but I'm also going to be at my weakest at this point. So do I fight them now or do I wait to see what like the third leg of the journey is going to be? Because that's when I'll be in prime shape with all of my upgraded abilities and everything. Yep. But it might be the librarian or something like someone I don't really don't want to fight. So that's why yeah. that's why I say it's semi optional. It's because like right. pick any one of them. But yeah, after chapter one, you have to beat a boss on every run. You have to beat one of those layer bosses in order to fight the final boss of the of the chapter. Yeah. So uh, we have so many different angles to to take here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I think to to go back to the progression thing and maybe maybe close the door mostly on that for a bit uh, before going to the randomness, which I think is is where a lot of the the middle and later game criticism comes in. Um, I do think it's actually fair to compare this game to Hades, and like I, I know that was part of your part of your subtweet, Lynn, was that it was like sort of <laughs> mentally unfair, but no. So this is this is like a big game within indie game circles, right? This is they've had years to put this together. Yeah. They could they made a bunch of money off Darkest Dungeon One. I'm sure it wasn't infinite money, but it was money that like they could make to they could have chosen a lot of different directions to this and they could and they can and did take a lot of time with with adjusting how it you know came out, how it works, and so on. Um, and like most roguelites, probably don't have that. Uh, they don't have that that kind of uh, history, budget, all these all these things going into them. Hades with super giants reputation and uh, their their comfort and the success that they've had, they could take the time to make that game really, really sing. And as somebody who played the early access of Hades was like, eh, I'll try it later. Uh, yeah, that worked. 
they made it they made it so much better and that's just the early access not even the the design parts that we didn't see um so yeah i do think the darkest dungeon and red hook are probably you know similar similarly uh reputable to Supergiant, maybe. So in that respect, I think that it's fair. I also think yeah. that it's I also think that the thing that made Hades really, really work, that made it go from this is a well-designed game that I enjoy playing to this is one of the best games I've ever played, is that Hades reacted to every choice that you made. When you chose certain skills you would have the next god you talk to be like oh the you've got aries on your side well i can do this you they would all chat with you after you died um hypnos would say oh you got killed by such and such a thing well that's uh-huh. a thing that happens um when you chose a weapon the weapon would you'd get like some sort of reaction you'd get some some kind of talking to you about the thing that just happened. Uh, there's the funny one where Megara tells you, like, oh, you're only beating because you're using the mirror. That's cheating. And so you can switch off all the mirror things and then go beat Megara. And she's like, all right, fine. You jerk. You beat me. Uh, and that's like one of the favorite things in the game. The game reacts to all the things you're doing. It talks to you about how you have done how how your accomplishments are going darkest dungeon 2 really really could use that you go on a run you die and then you just do it again the there doesn't seem to be any kind of emotional permanence it's just here's the next challenge here's the next challenge here's the next challenge and that aspect of it i think and this goes to some of the character relationships which is you know another huge aspect of the game we haven't even touched on really uh it does feel like there is like some missing spice between just why am I doing what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. And it just becomes, I'm doing what I'm doing because it's the best way to do this game. It's not, I'm playing a role within this universe. It's not, I want to see what'll happen when I experiment with this, like in just a, just a, this might be funny, not, not a, this might work. Uh, There's, in in a lot of the very best games, it feels like there's a motivation beyond simple min-maxing that this game, I think, struggles with. And that goes along with kind of the over-formalized design feeling that I was talking about before. Yeah, well, it's, totally. and it's like, it's impossible to form sort of an, a lasting emotional connection, I feel like, because of how they've completely stripped down the, the roster management, which again, comes back to, I understand exactly why you did this, but I wish you hadn't like they don't they wanted to take out that step of having to grind up new, you know, initiates if you lose a party in in a dungeon in in Darkest Dungeon 1. But it's like you can only have one of each class and if and you can there's like there's no way to bank them. There's no way to like have your 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 all-stars where it's like okay these guys are getting the nice foot baths and if they even get a scratch i'm gonna i'm gonna set them aside and they're and like you know we're gonna we're gonna give them like the premium treatment to get them back in fighting shape because these are the avengers like these guys over here we don't risk them for stupid reasons these losers whatever i don't care like they're there to get gold so i can buff my 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 main team Uh um 
And there's none of that. Like, I got to the point that, like, I'm not even thinking of each new group of adventurers as individuals anymore. I'm just kind of thinking of it as like, okay, this is Dismas, and like, it's a slightly different Dismas. I don't know. Maybe it's a variant from the TVA or something of Dismas, but like, it's always it, the it, same it, name now. You know, right. it's always like that they, guy. Uh huh. They yeah. always give him the same starting name, and you can click the randomized name button, but it's like, they're encouraging you not to really think of like a man at arms as a type of guy you can recruit. It's uh-huh. like a, he's a character with a backstory and it's always the same, yeah. no matter how many runs you've done. Oh, um, so, so this is, I, this oh. is a good example of. Yeah. How like, I understand why they're doing this. I don't know if it works. Like, yeah, each it of these, it's guys, my least favorite these, thing what? about the sequel. <laughs> Each of these classes is their own, is now an individual person. And that's cool. Like, I like getting the idea that Dismas has this particular path. This was a like sort of a supplemental thing they had these comics for Darkest Dungeon 1. It's like, it's not just there's a highwayman here. It's this is how Dismas got to the point where he needs to, you know, battle for redemption in this way. That's really cool. But also, I would name all my characters after the X-Men and cry when Cyclops died. Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh-huh. But yeah, you were just describing, Len, is just like that is one of the thing I love about like the emergent storytelling of like XCOM and XCOM 2. It's just like I will always remember my grenadiers and my, you know, you know, my have that guy was my heavy. That guy was my uh, you know, sword user and whatever. It's like that's the oh, that guy, that's my my sci my sci guy, because I mm-hmm. built him out, I customized him. I really thought about this. In this one. They are more Avengers like it is more just like, yep, Dismas is Dismas, Paracelsus is Paracelsus, and so on and so forth. And if you're going, I'm fine with them going that direction totally. But then if you're going to do that, you have to go all the way. You have to do the Hades thing at this point of just like, if Dismas is a character that has a backstory and that I'm going to learn through these hero shrines that are basically the flashback um, mini games that you do for each of the characters to unlock new abilities. I want to know what Dismas thinks of Paracelsus. I want to know what Dismas thinks of the man at arms or what, and so on and so forth. But the relationship system is so thin and it's, they made changes to it from the like early, not 1.0 release, but the, the original early access release, they made changes to it, but now they feel so ephemeral and kind of capricious, honestly, because it'll be like, oh, your characters uh, have a bad relationship for this region. Now they're locked into using a skill that you haven't upgraded that isn't part of your build. It completely screws up your entire game plan and you have to like and you don't know about it ahead of time either. So it's not like you can upgrade around it to at the end to fix it and to, and to make like interesting decisions. It's just like, no, on this run, you have to use uh, a blight skill, even though you're using the the bleed uh, party. It's like, well, what the hell? Like, I feel like I'm just like completely hamstrung. And that's all the relationships are. It's do you get good stuff? Do, do you get buffs when you use a skill or do you get debuffs? And does it interrupt your your thing? And it says stuff like, oh, these two characters are amorous. And that's cute the first time it happens. But that's all it is. It's just this character. They're just saying that these two characters are amorous. And it's like. I want to have dialogue and like scenes between those characters and like 
make me make choices about their relationship and things like that. If you're going to go in that direction, make some of that stuff carry over from run to run, like make it so that they reference the fact that, oh, we used to be in love on the previous run, you know, and stuff like that. But none of that is there. It's just it is just. Did the bar get filled up enough to make the random chance slightly more in your favor to make it a good thing? Or did the bar empty enough to make it a bad thing? And it's like, okay, well, great. So yeah, this is actually this is actually the thing that I might be the most relevant for because uh, I've had I've had multiple people from the team tell me that my IGN review actually had them sort of redesign some things, and it sure seems like the character relationships, which is one of the biggest complaints that I had about the initial early access, was uh, those character relationship. The way that meltdowns happened was everything was about the relationship between two characters, and this was a um, this was one of those design things that's like, I see why you made this choice, but it, it's, I, I don't think it actually ended up working out. Uh, everyone loves games where your tactics games where your characters fall in love and become friends, right? Uh, Fire Emblem did that. And then you get, you know, XCOM mods that do that. Then XCOM 2 does that. All these, all these cool things, uh, battle techs. And I think Phantom Brigade eventually got that. Yeah. We, we we know that we want this, right? A Darkest Dungeon one was about individual stress and an individual how you manage these things. Uh, when a character got to a high stress point in Darkest Dungeon one, they would either have a breakdown or they'd turn heroic in some fashion. That's that was really cool. Then okay, it makes total sense. You would take that, combine it with the relationship thing, and now it's all about is their relationship hitting a breaking point. But it didn't really work because you couldn't have that situation where one character just goes from useful to useless like they did in Darkest Dungeon 1 because now it's two characters. Now it's three characters. If someone is like just being a total bastard to everyone around them, everyone's going to hate that character. Um, so what they what they had in the first game was like these character relationship meltdown or the the first release, the early access, these character relationship meltdowns would uh, basically send your character into a spiral of no HP and being on death's door for as long as they were grumpy, which was probably the rest of the time. But because that was too much damage, like too much, too much difficulty, being on death's door and being grumpy with everyone didn't actually do too much. So I ended up playing most of my initial early access Darkest Dungeon runs with half my party at each other's throats in zero HP because actually taking the time to de-stress them and actually taking the time to heal them was significantly worse than just bonking enemies on the head. This was clearly not the intended way that they played the game and they have or, or that they designed the game and they have fixed this. Um, now when characters get stressed, they either melt down or become resolute. And that's just like a single permanent uh, or a single set amount of damage or buff to the relationship with the other characters. Then the system starts again. You're not stuck in this like permanent spiral of despair that doesn't actually do anything. Uh, now there's actually individual things that happen. Um, but 
it doesn't end up adding up to feeling like these characters are still doing that much more than being mechanically connected to one another or not. So like, it's another case of where this game feels like kind of overly formally designed where all of the math here makes sense the, all the mechanics, these are things that I can put together. It doesn't feel like it's telling a story like darkest dungeon one or the best games in the tactical management subgenre do. Uh, it feels like it's just a bunch of numbers that are happening. And that's, that's a kind of like alchemy that, is really hard to define, but we know we love it when we see it, right? Yeah, it's, and I feel like another thing that we are always talking about that uh, is is very much in like the same vein as this is like the fact that that strategy games won't actually give you decline because it's it's this idea of like game design is this set of codified principles that that like oh this is good game design. But that so often doesn't take into account the emotional side and the storytelling side of like what makes for an interesting story. Um, And I I think it gets missed a lot and it gets missed here. Yeah. So so, for example, in terms of stories, a lot of my favorite Darkest Dungeon one moments are points where I have my party going through a dungeon that's getting progressively more difficult one character has a breakdown or one character dies and I have to go into like the final fight here or make the decision. Am I going to go forward with a character who's gone or a character who's functionally useless and maybe try to salvage like the items I've gotten here? Or am I going to just bail and keep the characters alive at all costs? And this game just doesn't have those choices. Those choices no. are maybe you'll keep some candles at the end or not. It's not maybe uh-huh. you'll keep your level four leper, who's by far your best frontliner, uh, versus, oh, I'm actually going to finish this boss. And that's that's the core of Darkest Dungeon to me, is that choice. Uh, and Darkest Dungeon 2 just doesn't have that choice. It's made these decisions that have a fairly interesting game but it doesn't have that thing that's like really special. Right. And the the relationships are so temporary too, which I guess can make sense on some level that like, okay, well, when we were in the tangle, these two were fighting, but now they've kind of found a respect for each other. But it's like, if I have, you know, a, a grave robber and a Hellion who like fall in love and we go and we beat the boss and they both survive. So I go on the screen and they've got the icon on them that says they're a veteran because they survived the boss and I can go in and I can upgrade them with memories and they have the same quirks, the same positive and negative quirks. So I'm supposed uh-huh. to be like, this is the exact same character. And then we start a new run and they don't have any opinion about each other whatsoever. Like the, the like, yeah. yep, they're, they're, tr- they're, they're so caught between a, you know, this idea, I don't, I'm just like flustered by how frustrated this makes me because it's just, it hurts my enjoyment of what otherwise is a game I enjoy quite a bit. Well, um, and, and the yeah. early access version used to be more like that. The or Like the early version of the relationship yeah. system would last for at least an entire run. They would develop relationships and they would, would 
like carry that forward from region to region and in to in. And you would think that the inns would be a perfect place for some of that stuff to like come up and maybe have like, oh, because these two are in a relationship, you get this special ability that they can do at the end together or something. Um, but instead of going in that way and fleshing out that system, they completely uprooted it and replaced it with this new hyper temporary thing because people complained too much that the runs were that they were too like run ending. Uh, and it's just like, well, there's already plenty of stuff in this game that's already run ending. Why did it have to be this thing? Why was this the thing that it had to give? Why not something with the diseases or something with the, to make trinkets more uh, easily available or, or selectable? Like, why did you all do this? And I think like at the end of the day, it's because the priorities of Darkest Dungeon 2 are in the mathematical. They're in the uh, making sure that the gameplay... Uh, the combat specifically of the gameplay, because obviously all of this is part of the gameplay, but the combat specifically needs to be as like well-tuned as possible. And sure it is, but it also doesn't make me feel anything. Yeah. So the combat is like one of the main vectors for this over, over formalization that I feel Um, you go to like help screens in this game and they're talking about the little pips that are going to appear on your character. It feels uh-huh. like it's one of the most complicated board game manuals that yes. you've ever seen and you want to run away from it screaming. And this, I know this was an issue with how a lot of people like interacted with darkest dungeon one, where they wanted to like know which skill is the one that they should really be doing. And then they look and they see this wall of text and that's, Uh, that was like confusing and messy and not enjoyable and like yeah that was kind of a problem but also just figure out which skill is the bonk and but you can bonk (laughs) people and that's the thing that you do most of and then you can look at the other skills when you feel like your back is against the wall yeah that that functioned in that way and that still sort of functions in this game but like there are all these other little things that all are color-coded and it's all there's like you can press a button that takes you just like a quick button. I think it's Z or X that takes you to a screen that shows what every status effect in the game is, what? and it's like except not by, some of them. Except not some of them <laughs> is the problem. This is the early access <laughs> thing. This is the thing that like, this is the huge crux of what I feel like this game did not have Steam forums and Steam discussion boards to talk about, which is that like I I like the glossary. I like the fact that if at, at any point uh, I can hold down the alt key and it'll show and like I got to remember myself. OK, what does that one do again? Oh, that one. That's the one that burns people over time and they take more burn every turn. Uh, but some of them just aren't there for whatever no. reason. And there are things like okay. that all throughout Darkest Dungeon 2. Yeah. Okay. So uh-huh. that that is also a thing. I'm not disagreeing with that. But <laughs> you press this button and you see like 40 different status effects that you can drop. And Darkest Dungeon 1 was very much a game where status effects were relevant. Darkest Dungeon 2, like, I don't think it even... It, a lot it does add a fair amount but most of those are like class specific things where it's just like the hellion can do this one particular thing that makes her tired right um, but it just feels so formalized in a way that it's like yeah i'm playing the numbers on this game i'm not playing the feeling of darkest dungeon 1 uh and it it's it's a thing that I feel happens to strategy games over time where, or strategy series over time, where the 
it's like, how can we clean up the design? Um, Civilization five and six, I think, are two of the the examples that we come to the most in discussing this kind of thing, where these are games that are not necessarily any longer about telling the story about rising and falling empires or whatever. They're about how am I going to finish this game and maximize my civilization's potential as a you know, economic power, as an industrial power, as whatever ties in with my leaderhead's specific abilities. Uh, and that has made Civilization a less interesting franchise. It's still good. It's still well-designed. I still like a lot of it. I still will play it. It just feels like that's not that's not the kind of thing that I really fall in love with. I don't want to just say I fall in love with the story. I think that's a little too superficial, but it's uh, the messiness gives more more chance for the game to feel like it's meeting me halfway is maybe a better way to put it. Uh, Mm. This game feels like this is the game I am and you're either going to like it or you're not. And that's okay, which I respect. Uh, I don't hate this game. It just doesn't feel that special (sighs) to me. Yeah. It's if six is a great compare, like another point of comparison to, the way that like it just feels like it was designed by people like reading out of a game design textbook. Like that's kind of what I think I was trying to get at earlier is is like this idea that the, like you're putting the idea of game design on a pedestal almost and the messiness of something like a dwarf fortress or a Crusader Kings 2. Like part of why it's good is that you will let it be a little bit messy. Yeah. Like, but wait, also, wait. why do I have to click on three different screens to see what changes between the flagellants like scourge mode and his wanderer mode? Why do why does it just yes. say this changes these skills? It's like, how does it change them? It's, yeah. it's different when I click on this character versus when I click on the other character on the plague doctor it shows exactly what it changes and on him it just says it changes some stuff and it's like tell me what it changes red, red hook i just want making a menu option checkbox called rpg nerd and i can click that and then you just tell me what stuff does it with text when i mouse over it instead of having to like oh that we're gonna make our interface look really clean and we're gonna have a limit on how many words we can use in any given ability like just 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 expose it to me i'm i'm opting into this all right, right. Like, tell me what exactly every path what it does to every single ability that's what i want so you say this and like i'm still i'm still kind of processing this thought but uh it's coming to me as we're doing this show an rpg mode for this game like what if this game had just been an rpg what if this was darkest dungeon mass effect and were these are actually characters who are like slowly developing relationships with each other across the course of a single story right that'd be better i would like that that would be better I don't necessarily know that that would be better, but it feels like the design trends that they have been going with this game would have maybe fit that better. 
than trying to have this kind of halfway roguelite, but it's got a more solid story, but that story ends up not actually being more solid. I, I, think, you ha- I think you have to decide, like, is Boudica a character with a set backstory, set traits, and persistent relationships, or is the Hellion a type of character that I am going to, they're going to die and I'm going to recruit new ones. Yeah. I don't, I don't like existing in this middle space where it's very unclear which of those two things is true. You have to commit to one or the other. This is another way that Hades actually is a good example, a good kind of parallel example, because this game had a reason for your meta progression, a reason that Zagreus was, you know, doing it was okay to lose in Hades because right. you were getting better at you personally were getting better at learning how the thing works, but you're also, you know, making this progress. And that progress is very specifically part of the game in a in a in a like functional real way. It's still kind of arbitrary. You're getting darkness. Okay, whatever. Um but that darkness goes into a mirror. That mirror was given to him by his uh, um, adopted mother. Like all these things are are coming together in that aspect. There's kind of this this story reason for them to exist. That darkest dungeon two is just like I don't know who you are in this game, and that's not always right. a thing that I find like too much of an issue. Like I I remember when. Um, Double Fine made their their tactics game. Uh, Massive Chalice. Yes, Massive Chalice. And they were like, we we don't like it where you play games where you're like just a nebulous empire or the commander of a squad. You actually are this chalice. And I was like, I'd, you know, whatever. But in Darkest Dungeon <laughs> 2, like I, I understand that there are ways that different types of players interact with games and that can be off-putting for some people. I'm not personally one of them. That's the that's the better way to say that. Uh in this game, though, it's like, am I playing the wagon? And where am I going after I, I'm going to sort of this nebulous staging zone where I get another wagon? And like I don't know if this character is like being reborn because they happen to be some archetype that works within this world or if they're actually a new version of that class. These things are nebulous in a way where having an actual answer there, I think, would also have answered some game design things that could have made this game not exist in this kind of half half sequel, half new thing, half uh, storytelling RPG, half tactical board game. It's yeah, it it just feels like it feels like it exists to answer the question of what if the Darkest Dungeon One characters were a little bit more people, and what if Darkest Dungeon One was a lot shorter? Uh, well. <laughs> Yeah, you see how short it is once you get to like chapter two, and it's like, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. yeah. If if progress felt like it was more specific and grounded, uh, might be a different way to phrase that. 
if it felt like this was a game where I can see an endpoint that's real and exists. Right. Uh, and Darkest Dungeon 1 often didn't, except for the Darkest Dungeon, which I guess I'm going to use to segue into randomness here. Uh, ra- like randomness and permanence. Um, in Darkest Dungeon 1, one of the reasons that I pretty intensely disliked the actual Darkest Dungeon is that a lot of the randomness just got thro- thrown out the door. I also did not like the Crimson Court expansion. Uh, because it was this very set path that you were going down and these very difficult bosses that you really had to beat in a certain way. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to experiment with this kind of party, see what happens. It's like, oh, I need to just load up on damage as much as I possibly can. Fuck heals, fuck, fuck everything else. Also, fuck this game. I don't like, I don't enjoy this. Uh, Darkest Dungeon 2 is this game that's about these longer, slower, more meandering things, but also has these very specific bosses at the end. As we mentioned, Mm -hmm. the lair boss in the library, you need to have range damage against him. And a lot of it has to be like explosive because he's Mm -hmm. going to, he's going to keep moving towards you. And then if he gets all the way towards you, you're just screwed because you can, you can hit him with melee, but good luck with that uh by then you're probably dead so you 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 set all your guys on fire like five times a turn yeah right and if you and if you have a frontline character whose only choice is bonk or skip my turn and gain stress you're kind of screwed because if you bonk the books you're just making him go super saiyan faster so right yes (laughs) so you have to like play through the game and just experience those things and like ruin a run or you know what i'm sure a lot of people will do is just read a guide uh on these things ahead of time it's like okay do that one um and then lose come back later kit out better next time and that stuff doesn't bother me most of the time in most games and such but um i don't know i don't often feel like there is a great incentive to because especially since you just have to beat a layer boss i don't often feel like a very specific incentive to try new things or go for different kinds of builds because it's like well i can just do the one in the tangle over and over and over again because i know exactly what works to beat this guy yeah and also on the the negative side you i'm pretty sure you were one of the main people discussing this in the discord but like the actual end of chapter bosses like you get to the point where if you have x disease or you don't have y skill you're not beating that boss right and and that's that's really frustrating yeah or you didn't upgrade it because like some of the most important stuff in this game is like these mastery points that you get from very specific things along the road on your way to to the the final chapter boss throughout a region those don't carry over from run to run these mastery points are basically like you it basically means Man-at-Arms starts with the skill Crush. You can spend a mastery point to make Crush 2 or Crush Plus. That is just a flat better version of that skill. It does more damage or it heals more or both or it adds some extra thing to it. And all the skills in this game have this. It's not like in Darkest Dungeon 1 where it's like, okay, there's level five arm, level 1 armor, level 2 armor, level 3 armor, level 4 armor, whatever, over that you upgrade over time. It's just like there is the, the upgraded skill and the normal skill. And so that ends up becoming your basically your most precious resource along the way here. But like, again, because these runs are random and you don't often know what you're going to be getting from a particular 
zone or a node or whatever, you can just not get enough of that stuff or you will put those very, very limited points into a skill that turns out is completely worthless against the boss that you're about to go fight. The chapter two boss, you have to have skills that do massive damage to the the very back line and massive damage to the uh, very front line. And it can't be bleed blight or burn it has to be physical damage you have to have like something like iron swan which is the hellions um big hit for the very back line it only hits one position but it does a lot of physical damage you have to have a move like that for that boss or you will die uh, and you have to have one that that hits the front. So it's like, oh, I've well, I played for three hours, got to the got to the final boss, and it turns out I didn't put enough points. I didn't have a character that that had a skill that could hit the back line in that in that particular way. I have a character who is really good at hitting the back line and doing blight damage to it or blinding the back line because uh so many backline enemies are just ranged at, uh, attackers uh like i really put a lot of points into um the the blinding gas from the plague doctor but i didn't get iron swan or i didn't upgrade iron swan or um the relationship stuff locked me into having to use a skill that isn't that skill uh and now i'm screwed out of that one too it's just like there's so many different combinations of things that can happen regardless of like stat stuff with like trinkets and things like that it's like that is one thing but like there are it's straight up things where it's like sorry you didn't put the right point into the right thing six regions ago and your entire run ends here because you didn't know that or you did know that and you're screwed anyway yeah and also like the mirror image of this is that i like to experiment i like these things doing di these different things in different ways. One of my favorite things about Darkest Dungeon 1 is that like I would have a Crusader, like the Crusader is one of the starting classes, and he has uh, these skills when you get them that are just like your pretty generic bonk and buff the party skills. Later Crusaders will have a different set of skills, maybe with some overlap, maybe with no overlap, maybe with total overlap. It's fun for me to see, can I make this crusader who has completely different skills from, I don't even remember his name, work out. I would like to have a party where I have like one of each of these characters or two of each of these classes and each one does completely different things. That's fun to me. Then you get to these points where the bosses and whatever are saying, no, you can't do that. Like if I want to, if I want to quote, finish civilization six, that would maybe be, you know, winning the game with every different leader combination or whatever. Uh, in Hades, as I discussed, like every god, every weapon, every form of every weapon is its own viable thing. And you can usually figure out a way to get that to a point where you can finish a run with that. Uh, this was an issue with Darkest Dungeon 1, but the Darkest Dungeon itself was so far in the game that you could be extremely satisfied with how much you played the game uh, and never actually finish it. But it's everywhere in Darkest Dungeon 2. It's in the lair bosses. It's in the chapter bosses. It's even in some of the just random fights that you go up, up mm -hmm. into. Like, it won't be as bad in those cases. It probably won't be a wipe, but there's still... Yeah, there's still this strong element of uh, 
experimentation will get you killed. And when I play, when I play any game, I want to just like sample some of everything. And it seems like this game is actively trying to reject that. It's one of the biggest reasons that I think that like, it sucks to try and make the like any party lineup that isn't just those four starting characters viable because it's just like well i could run in here with with this guy but like i i know that his attacks only hit this one particular area and so like i can't take him because he's too too specific every party needs to be either a, a like hyper hyper generalized so they can do anything at any given moment and there's only a couple of lineups where that is even possible or they have to be so hyper specifically focused on something that you might not know what you need uh that it's like well this is pre-scripted for me there's no there there is no creativity here for me as a player lynn you have thoughts on this I mean, I played, I kind of just got the classes that I like thematically and kind of stuck with those. Mm. Um, I, it wasn't the starting classes. I ended up with Hellion, Man-at-Arms, Grave Robber, Vestal was the party that I ran probably 80% of the time. Um, just based on the ones, it's completely vibes based. I mean, obviously I... <laughs> I wanted two frontliners and two backliners, but the ones I picked were mostly vibes based. Um, there are definitely some where I feel like this is this is true of every class in this game, but it's more true of some than others. They start you off with the abilities that don't combo together with each other and don't combo together with anything else, and in general just kind of suck, but are like basic functionality sort of um and like the only way to unlock more is to go do those hero shrines which like if you're if you get bad luck with scouting you might not even find a hero shrine on a given run um or i basically just like cleared out the vestal <laughs> entirely on one and a half runs right mm -hmm. and it's it's not until you unlock not necessarily all of their abilities, but at least their their next two or three abilities that you start to get like, okay, I kind of see how this class works now, which I do think might discourage experimentation because if you have a man-at-arms with his, you know, sergeant path unlocked, which is the one that makes him even better at like stress reduction and buffing and stuff, um, and it's like, why would I swap him out for the runaway who has four abilities they are kind of confusing and I don't really get how I'm supposed to use them because I haven't seen what her other abilities that unlock later are that actually make those first four make sense. And uh, yeah, it doesn't feel like you are rewarded for party experimentation really at, at all. Yeah. And that's <laughs> another thing that kind of feeds into the, the sort of arbitrary roguelike progression of I'm just dropping candles on the things that I think might work. And some of those things might be the thing that unlocks exactly how the character is supposed to go. You just don't necessarily know that and may get that, you know, 10 hours after it would have changed the game for you. Yeah. But, and these things are, I don't know. It's, there, hard, to, it's hard to describe. There's like one particular 
a runaway skill and where she does damage to an enemy behind a character that so if there's a if there's a character in row one who is burning she will do however much burn damage is left to be dealt to that character for the rest of their the time that they're burning so if they're burning uh, taking five burn damage for the next three rounds she'll do 15 physical damage to the character behind that guy uh and if you mix that with the plague doctor uh, who her ultimate ability that she unlocks from her fifth shrine story is she just does burn damage to every single enemy. It's like super, super powerful. Uh, and there's like ways to com- combo that stuff. But again, it's like that is such a specific thing that takes like if you don't know that that because like, why would you ever think that the plague doctor gets an ability that burns everybody? Uh, she's the blight one. So it's like, well, I could put the points there in the hopes that maybe the runaway will be good later or i could just bonk really good and like get the combo uh combo being like a status effect in this game like you put the combo skull on an enemy and then you can heal with the crush and then my man in arms just does damage while also healing himself and it's just like good um yeah i don't know it's it's very strange and made even stranger by the fact that like even as we're talking about this like there's updates coming up for this game changing a lot of this stuff all the time I want to yeah. I do want to give a little tip, which is uh, if anybody like me is asking, where are these combo tokens supposed to be coming from? <laughs> because there's not really like a class that specializes in placing them. Right. Uh, the answer is trinkets. When you unlock better trinkets, you'll be placing combo tokens all over the place. That's one of the main ways that you're you're party feels more powerful as you unlock more trinkets and a lot of combo tokens also come from upgrading skills like it'll be like the jester's harvest skill has 25 percent chance to produce combo but if you upgrade it it has 33 percent chance to produce combo right yeah so i do want to say i missed the shield bear she was my favorite like classic darkest dungeon one bring back the shield bear she she made the like movement based parties really work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, they can change the skills and stuff, but like, yeah, she also had a really good design. Uh, that's this, actually I mean, like, go ahead. I was just going to say that's actually been one of my like biggest gripes with this game on a personal level is that I love the movement based parties or it's just like everybody's constantly like juking yeah. and ducking and weaving. And that just doesn't seem like you can do it in this game. Like there are, there are characters that can move around. The jester moves around a ton, but the movement stuff is so like the, 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 what characters can hit where is so restrictive, especially by the like token of, well, you can have a party that moves around a bunch, but I hope you don't like healing because the healers can't move. Uh, If you set the heal, if you set the vestal to, uh the the thing where she's a frontliner she better stay in the front line if you set the man-at-arms in your party at all he's got to stay in the front line yeah this is and this is just a thing that's sort of difficult to to design or over design but it does sort of go along with the uh with the general feeling of uh experimentation is not a blessing in this game and i feel like experimentation should be a blessing in a roguelike or roguelite um the other the other thing 
that I kind of want to get to at the end here is that like, yeah, I still want this game to be improved. I do want the shield bearer to be in here. I want this game to succeed. There is there is this tension that I brought up sort of a couple times of this game feels like it's in many ways a really good sequel to Darkest Dungeon 1, especially aesthetically. The music is still great. The narrator mm-hmm. is here. We haven't talked about him at all. We love the narrator. Um, the animations are just such a massive improvement. I adore how this game looks with the exception that they don't have a gamma thing in the options still, which I remember complaining about and saying, oh, this is probably just an early access oversight. But now I'm thinking that this is a deliberate choice where they don't want people to make the game look too bright. But when the sun's coming through the window in my house, uh, the game is way too dark. So, yeah. At any rate, uh, for the most part, aesthetically, it's a massive improvement. But the thing is, everything about this game that I like is like kind of in its relationship with Darkest Dungeon 1. I don't know even like what would make you say, I want to play this, play this particular game versus I would... I don't know why you would necessarily say that unless you knew that Darkest Dungeon 1 was really cool, uh, and especially if you played Darkest Dungeon 1. But it always feels like it's a lesser version of Darkest Dungeon 1. They changed a lot of things. Yeah. I respect that. That's a good... That's not necessarily always good, but that is often a, a sign of confidence from a company. It's a, it's a thing that I, I like uh, in a design. I want want these want these uh game designers or whatever to be to be trying to push the envelope maybe doing things that fans don't necessarily expect um i respect a lot of this game and as we've discussed like so much so much of it makes a certain sense there's a logic behind it it's very well designed it just feels a little over designed but in the end I don't like this game as much as Darkest Dungeon 1, and that's all I ever think about. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's just so difficult. I don't want to say this is a bad game, but we, it's not. this is a podcast that no. we spent three quarters of the time complaining and not because, <laughs> not because it's a bad game and not because it's a badly organized podcast. I mean, it might be a badly organized podcast, but that's not the only reason. It's... Because everything about this game is its relationship with Darkest Dungeon 1, and that relationship is one that's very frustrating. Yeah, it's I I would even say this is a very good game. I have had a lot of fun with this game. I enjoy it quite a bit for what it is, but it does make me want to go play Darkest Dungeon 1 again, because I think Darkest Dungeon 1 is still the better game for sure. I've installed Black Reliquary. I got a waiting for me on my Steam Deck. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready it. to go. I need to ch- need to check it out. I've never played that mod. So. Can, yeah. can you describe that real quick for people who don't necessarily know? Black Reliquary is like what if people don't know that this is a thing, this has been happening for a little while here. <laughs> Coincidentally, it actually happened with Slay the Spire not too long ago. Um, with Slay the Spire Downfall, which is a basically a, an officially authorized mod that has its own steam page and everything that the developers are like, yes, we, we sign off on this being like basically an officially recognized product and black black reliquary is basically like a collection 
of Darkest Dungeon one mods that coalesces into its own completely unique game, but you have to own Darkest Dungeon uh, one and all of its DLC in order to play it. Like it's a free thing that you can just download as its own thing, but basically Steam checks, hey, do you own the game that this is built on? Okay, good. Now you can install Black Reliquary. And it is sort of a re it is like Darkest Dungeon 2 if Darkest Dungeon 2 was like a direct sequel to Darkest Dungeon 1 and not like a new thing. It's like you have a town. In this case, the town is a flying airship in the middle of this desert. Uh, you have all of the playable characters and a bunch of old play of like new playable classes and stuff like that from the old game. But you recruit them in more or less the same way. The progression is more or less the same. There's just a completely unique story and um, vibe and a bunch of and enemies and mechanics and stuff to it. It's much harder than the first Darkest Dungeon, which I'm sure sounds incredible to some people. But like, you know, you you play that game long enough, you eventually kind of like Darkest Dungeon one is not necessarily hard because it's hard. Darkest Dungeon one by the end is more hard because it uh, is a grind. It just be like you can beat Darkest Dungeon one, but you just have to play it forever. This is much more like you have to really think about um, team lineups and compositions and stuff like that in a way that the first game just does not demand of you yeah there are also some interesting darkest dungeon likes that uh mike williams was recommending on the there's one that came out on epic that like takes place in a victorian evil circus environment um it's called like Cirque Electric, I think, or something like that. Oh, I've seen this. Yeah. And I believe I just got a notification that uh, if this is the game I'm thinking of, I'm going to check this on Steam. Yeah, there's this game called Power Chord that looks like it's half Slay the Spire, half Darkest Dungeon, and you're playing like a heavy metal band that's fighting evil. Yes, I've heard um, of that one that I have heard also heard very good things about uh, the darkest dungeon, like darkest dungeon likes that have come out in the past. I feel like tend to be missing some, some kind of ineffable greatness to them that has made it. We, we, I think we've talked about doing a show on what was, what exactly these th games were all missing because they all seem like they're doing the right thing, but it's just not there. Uh, but it does seem at least by reputation, that the the formula is getting getting kind of moved around in interesting and fun ways. Yeah, people are starting to figure out how to do this. Like some of the early attempts were not quite there. Like Mistover is a game that I kind of like, but it's like certainly missing a lot of stuff. And that one's like kind of also that game is like trying to be both Darkest Dungeon and also Etrian Odyssey. So yeah, it, it's got a bunch of things going on there. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, any other final thoughts about Darkest Dungeon likes or Darkest Dungeon 2, Lynn? Um, you know, the, the one, the one way, like, we talk about how, how, like, meticulously designed this game is, the one way that that really did click for me that I want to shout out is all of the, like, the little choices you make in a run in terms of like, uh, OK, you know, do I want to spend my 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 uh, money on on uh, or my what's the triangle resource called spoils or something? But there's <laughs> there's relics and trinkets is the other one. 
relics. Yeah, I think is what it's called. Yeah, it, it's like, do I want to spend it up like repairing my wagon? Oh, which bobbles. will give me more bobbles, which will give me more options because I can go over rough terrain without having to worry about it or like picking which region to go to next based on like what the modifier is and like what the quest is. And like, do I want to, you know, do this challenge that's going to be a little bit harder, but it's going to give me mastery points, which we've discussed are very good. Or, you know, this challenge that I know I can do pretty much with my eyes closed, but it only gives, you know, like four candles or whatever. All of those little decisions you make along the way, I think that was all really well done. Um, And it adds up to make you feel like I made 10 small good choices and then that added up very much affected the success chances of this run and i feel very smart like a smart little person because of that (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i think that that's an aspect of the game that is is definitely worth shouting out is that it does feel like some of the rug is pulled out from under the good decisions because of things like the excess randomness and the the need to have very specific parties. But just traveling through the world, doing the kind of general RPG things until you get to these boss fights, uh, this is all stuff that it works. It functions. It's it's a good little map. It's a good little, oh, I have to decide if I'm going to take this fight or if I'm going to skip it. Uh, I have to like put all these different aspects, like which character is going to be unhappy about this? Am I maybe going to not be in great shape for the final fight? Uh, do I need to get the loathing down a lot? Do I need money? Do I need mastery points? Like all these, all these different things kind of add up into feeling like a solid like road evil road trip game totally uh, it just it just falls apart when it's like oh a hospital is significantly better than everything else because i got to get rid of these negative perks before i get to the boss and then if i don't get the hospital randomly then i may as well just quit the damn game and that's that's where the frustration comes in is that you know we're 95 percent of the way there to something that still may not be darkest dungeon one but would stand on its own, I think, a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to what you were saying earlier. It's just like, this is not a game that we are complaining about because we don't like it. It's a game that we're complaining about because like, we can see the potential there and also saw the potential going from Darkest Dungeon 1 to this. Of, like Going from Darkest Dungeon 1 to, uh, like, it felt like the sky was the limit. I remember when they first announced uh, the sequel, I was like, oh, my, and it's going to be like kind of an at the mountains of madness type story. Oh my God, that's so cool. That's such a, oh, and it's like a road trip. <clears throat> The stage, it's just Darkest Dungeon 1, but instead of like upgrading a town, you're upgrading like a stagecoach and you're like moving from area to area throughout a world. It's like, that's so cool. And that is kind of not what it is. And what it is is just not particularly fully tweaked all the way. And it feels like a game that is still in, like, if this was the early access launch of Darkest Dungeon 2, I'd be like, oh, this is if they just figure out some of the balance stuff and some of like the party lineup stuff, uh, the maybe like flesh out the relationships, relationship stuff a little bit more, this game is going to be great, but this is the 1.0 and it's like, it doesn't feel like the 1.0 full release from, of like a new game from the people who made darkest dungeon one. It feels like it didn't. I mean, frankly, again, it feels like a game that didn't get nearly enough QA time in or you know 
total person hours from the Epic Game Store early access version. It just doesn't feel like they received like enough feedback or, you know, maybe they received plenty of feedback and they just, you know, resources and time and stuff like that just meant that they couldn't fix or change certain things on time for 1.0. You know, game game development is hard. Things can happen. Things are weird, but it certainly feels like it. I mostly agree with that, but I feel like there's still this issue where the refocus of like what the what the core unit of difficulty is, what the core unit of progression through this game is, going from the the twenty minute dungeon runs to the four hour uh, traveling road trip mm, things mm-hmm. is just a decision that hurts the entire idea of the roguelike. Mm-hmm. Um, it just makes the game it it puts the game in a hole that it can still be a good game in that hole but it's still lower than maybe it wants if i'm just really stick with this metaphor Uh, (laughs) like there's just this this specific joy of darkest dungeon one or even just like the psychology of having a set amount of gameplay that's 20 to 40 minutes uh, that I think I don't remember who this was who was talking about that. It might have been like a GDC talk from Jane McGonagall, but there's like actual science about how a round of a game taking this particular amount of time is actually ideal. And so many of the games that I think about how I enjoy them do have these like roughly 30 minute sections, uh, especially the games that I like go come back to and play for years. Um, and Darkest Dungeon 2 has that now be five hours and I just it just feels like that's a thing that's always going to hold it back at least slightly but it could it still can be it still is in many ways a really good game with that constraint but I do feel like there's there's not like a perfect early access version of this game that has come through that is as good as Darkest Dungeon 1 because of that Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds <laughs> that like a good a- almost two hours on that one. It says that it wasn't also it wasn't quite the Rome Total War Two therapy session that we needed. Uh, it was it was a much more positive therapy session. Um, that might be because John isn't here and John had to do an IGN review where they are making him actually finish the game. Uh, I think that review is live. I think I was the game. reading it. Yeah. Is it now? Let me yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's a thing that, that's a thing that I dislike, but that's a conversation for another time. But regardless, I don't know if I'm allowed I to talk about that or more not now. Am I allowed to have opinions about games journalism policies and review policies at websites anymore? Am I? Oh, oh yeah, you're, you're, you're you escaped. But like, doesn't that mean I have to be even more political? Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Post uh, on the forums how you got a bad review and the address of the person who gave Warframe sixty. <laughs> God, I swear, I swear, uh, not about not about a digital extremes product. I would never, but I I got so close to for the first time in my life posting on a forum about how mad a game was making me this week. That's well, not how, this one, right? What's that? 
Not this one, right? Not this one. No, 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 no. It okay. was I, like just I just make it easy. I don't know. I don't have to protect Watsy on this. Uh, Magic the Gathering. I'm just so mad at okay. standard uh, <laughs> Magic Gathering on Arena. <laughs> Nobody on here cares about it. I was actually going to make like a whole uh, comparison point to Darkest Dungeon uh, between Darkest Dungeon and Magic uh, that we never got to. And I, it's. <laughs> escaped me at this point we kind of moved past it but still maybe having like past. 30 what? different kinds of tokens maybe <laughs> yeah. we we did do a show on marvel snaps so like it oh. is theoretically possible that ccgs yeah. is is a thing that we would listen we, we, i know there's there's more than enough bullshit and magic to Oh, listen, uh, they're ju- now is the course. perfect time to talk about this. They're changing. Ba- Wizards of the Coast had to go out and basically make it a public apology right, for how bad standard is right now. <laughs> Rowan, if you want me on an episode of Magic. Hey. This has been another wonderful episode of Three Moves Ahead. Three Moves Ahead is brought to you by listeners like you on our Patreon, 3ma.com or patreon.com slash 3ma. Uh, they pay Lynn's bills and who knows what other bills they pay. Uh, this podcast is produced by robots at Zencaster and Leanna Hafer. And hopefully she doesn't have to do too much work and the AI handles this. Um, what else is there, Lynn? Uh, Twitter, uh, you I- can get access to our Discord server. <laughs> I always wing it, so it's not like yeah. I have a... yeah. Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash 3MA. Another real easy one. Um, Save us the Patreon. You can get access to our Discord, Super Secret Discord, et cetera, et cetera. Idle uh, Thumbs Network. Check us Idle out. Work. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, Nier, if you really want to put together a panel for Arena, like, I'll, I'll like, I, I don't know who else would be on it, but if you know other people, that it, uh, I think that would be a good show. So. Oh, I'm sure I can find people who have opinions about Magic the Gathering. <laughs> uh, maybe, just maybe within our circle of nerds, it's somewhat possible that we might know some other people who have uh, Magic opinions, uh, yeah. What do we have on docket for the rest of the month, Len? Um, I think... There has there have been rumblings about Age of Wonders four for a while. Oh yeah, now, about that. Which is like, it feels like the wave has kind of passed, but we should still probably do a show on it. I did enjoy it. It just it yeah. feels like people are playing other stuff now. Um, well, <laughs> have you heard of the Legend of Zelda? <laughs> yeah. Uh, can can we argue that Tears of the Kingdom is a strategy game? Maybe. Um, no, uh, there's also going to be uh, at some point here, we're going to nail down what our plans are going to be for our big project of crowning the best strategy games of all time. Uh, oh. We're in talks. It's in pre-production. Um, so that's going to be our big Patreon thing, probably for the summer. Uh, just just. Yeah. Ping me again when I haven't podcasted for a couple hours. Right. I was I was actually going to say we should talk about it after this episode, but we have been talking yeah, for way too long at this we're point. Punchy. This has been this has been a wonderful <laughs> episode of Three Weeks Ahead from the Idle Thumbs Network. Yeah, we're uh, done. We're pressing stop. I'm Rowan Kaiser for Liana <laughs> Hafer for Nerium Strom. Have a good night. Red is a bad color in Magic the Gathering. <laughs>